All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see you guys. Um, uh, I want to thank you all for being a part of our group today. Um, we are going to continue in our discussion of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and it will probably take us until, from here until the time Jesus comes back to get through it because there really is a whole lot to talk about. Um, uh, and, I, and I am actually going faster than what we probably should. Um, so I do hope that um, the handouts that I've given you um, uh, for the, the new folks in the class, the new folks in this group, a couple of quick notes that I want us to understand um, before we get into the text today. Some concepts behind looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. Number one, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one story. It is not divided up. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. But both the Old and the New Testament point us to the promise of God. The Old and the New Testament are both the promise of God. And we, in modern evangelism, um, evangelicalism today, we have a tendency to see two different groups of people, the Jews and the church. Uh, and the dispensationalists believe that God is dealing with two different groups of people. The reality is that Jesus died on the cross to save his sheep. And his sheep started with Adam. And his sheep will end with the last person who turns and believes him. Not one single person that he died on the cross to save will be lost. Not one single person that Jesus died on the cross to save will be lost. If that were the case, then he is not the good shepherd because he's lost sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. If you are in this room today and you are a born-again believer, if you are a blood-brought child of God, the reason you are a believer is because over almost 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus poured His blood out on a cross to redeem you, to save you. And at some point in your life, someone did what they were commanded to do and they shared the Word of God with you. And through the sharing of that Word of God, And the power of the Holy Spirit, you were given a new heart. And you were given eternal life. And it was a gift that Christ purchased for you on the cross. And it's yours. And now you have the responsibility to live out that promise, not only in your own life, but to allow the people around you to see that promise being lived out. And so when we talk about the Old and the New Testament, we need to understand that it's one complete story. It's the story of God's people. In the Old Testament, the focus was on Israel. In the New Testament, the focus is on the new Israel or the spiritual Israel. The people of God. God, With Abraham, we saw the story of Abraham, how God took one man and pulled him out of a pagan uh, world and pulled him out of a pagan religion and brought him and set him apart to be a people for himself. And through Abraham and through his son Isaac and through his son Jacob, he established a people for himself. And that people were commanded and called by God to be a light for the world. But instead of using that light to be a light for the world, they used it as a light for themselves. And they became self-righteous and self-fulfilled and self-sufficient and trusting in self. And they took the very promise that God had given them, and instead of using them to bless the world, they tried to use them for their own selfish reasons. And so God uh, accordingly turned them over to their own desires, 
And then he, through all of their rebellion, through all of their uh, idolatry, and through all of their refusing to trust God, he still used them to bring about the coming Messiah. Remember this in your own life and in the Bible as you read it. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. All right? God's purposes are being fulfilled every day despite our rebellion, despite our sin, despite our fallen nature. God's plan is still taking place every day. And He's not up in heaven right now pulling His hair going, Oh no, what am I going to do with them? God is in control. And the whole Bible tells us that story. It shows us that even though we are broken and a fallen people, God is using a broken and fallen people to accomplish His mission, which is to glorify Himself. And so, one day we'll stand before Him. As the Bible tells us when we get to the book of the Revelation, we will all kneel before His throne and say, Worthy is the Lamb, uh, and we will glorify Him. And the story will all be about Him and we'll be able to look back in all of our lives and see where He has been working in your lives all along. And that is what I hope that you can see when you read the Bible. That you realize that this is God's story. And that story is not about you. It's about Him. And when we can finally fit that through our thick heads, that it's not about you. And I guarantee you that every one of us in the room, including me, when we pick up the Bible, we're looking for us in the Scriptures. What is His will for my life? Right? How about let's just look at what is His will? What glorifies Him? And so when we see the Bible, we should see one connected story of our glorious God and Savior. And when we begin to divide it up into the old and new and try to split it apart and see different things, we're doing a disservice to the Scriptures. And so when Jesus taught His disciples, when Jesus taught the apostles, when Jesus taught those who wrote the New Testament, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were all apostles. All the people that wrote were His followers. And He taught them about Himself And he did not have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John to refer to because it had not been yet written. So Jesus went to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and he taught them all all about himself in the Scriptures. So when we look at the Old Testament, we realize that it's Christ-centered. And even though they didn't know who the Christ was yet, he was already there, and he was already at work making sure that his plan takes place. And that's kind of what we've been seeing in the life of Abraham. Um, And so today, um, if you still have your worksheet, we're going to read some text together. We're going to go into the book of Genesis. Um, Last time we were together, we saw that God made a covenant with Abraham. Um, If you remember, uh, uh, God told Abraham to take the animals and cut them in half, remember? And then he and then then the lamp passed through the the sacrifice, and Abraham was asleep. And the point was what that God was the one that was going to make sure that this covenant was carried out. And so what we saw last time we saw sacrifices, we saw a light. And remember we said Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So all of the sacrifices 
that you see in the Old Testament should point us to the one ultimate sacrifice, who is Christ. So when you see a sacrifice in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a very bloody book. And those sacrifices are a constant reminder of the wages of sin is death. When they killed those animals, what they were saying was, this should be me. This is what I deserve. And through the death of that animal, uh, nothing was accomplished other than to point them to the one sacrifice that would come one day that would actually accomplish the taking away of death. And that's what Christ's sacrifice on the cross did. So tonight we're going to look a little bit at the story of Sarah and uh, Hagar. Sarai and Hagar. Remember, Sarai has not had her, her name changed yet. She is still known as Sarai. And Abraham is still known as Abram. Their names have not changed yet. And so in this story, we're going to look at 16 today. And we're going to maybe get into 17 a little bit as well. So we're going to try to look at Genesis 16 and 17 and see what we can draw from that. So let's open with a word of prayer. And then we'll talk about seeing Jesus in the story of Sarah and Haggai and seeing Jesus in the covenant of circumcision. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this time together. We do recognize it as we open up Your Word that we are reading Your Word. Thus saith the Lord. That this is You speaking to us. And without Your help, Holy Spirit, without You opening our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our lives, these truths will mean nothing. We have to be able to hear them, to see them, to receive them, and to believe them, and to trust them. And the only way that we're going to do that is if You, dear Lord, will be gracious enough to work in our hearts tonight. So please be with us now as we read Your Word. Help us to receive it and believe it. Help us to see the things that You wish for us to see so that we can uh, be conformed to the image of Your Son and be a light to this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. What is it called when someone doesn't have children? Barren. Barren. All right, She is barren. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. All right. Uh, so Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power to do what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. All right, so let's talk about what we've seen so far. All right, God had promised Abram, and the last time we were together, we saw where God promised Abram that his seed would be more multiple than what? The stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore? Well, what's the problem here? The problem is that Abraham get up around 90 years old and he doesn't have any kids. All right, now God has made a promise to him that he's going to have more children than the stars in the sky and more than the sand on the seashore. And Abraham's getting to an age now where it's not looking like that promise is going to be fulfilled, right? Well, what is the problem with that? The problem is that if God makes a promise, 
God keeps His promise. And our problem is, is that we too oftentimes focus on our circumstances, our abilities, our capabilities, instead of focusing on the God who makes the promise. You see? And so instead of looking up, instead of looking up, we have a tendency to look within or to look around. Let me say that again. So often, instead of looking up, we have a tendency to look inward or around us for our answers. And remember, God is the answer. We are the problem. Right? A good dear pastor friend of mine always used to say, the issue is you. Right? The issue is you. All right? It wasn't the drugs. The drugs were not the problem. You and your desire for them were the problem. See? And so, so often we want to look uh, within it. Oh well, uh, you know, I just, I'm just poor, poor me. Or we look around us and say, well, it's the world around us fault. If the world wasn't here, I wouldn't do those kind of things. But the truth of the matter is, we are the problem, and God is the solution. So our circumstances are not the answer, and we are not the answer. God is. But just like us, Abraham has a tendency to look within or to look around for answers instead of looking up. And that's what we're seeing here. So what do they decide? <clears throat> Sarah says, hey, you know, I, I, I'm barren. I can't have kids. Um, and I want you to take my maid and I want you to sleep with her and I want you to produce a child. Now, at this time, there was actually a custom. This was actually a legit thing. Matter of fact, one of the things that they would do was as the the midwife was had her legs spread and the baby was coming out, um, they would put their knees together and the the owner of the slave would catch the baby as it come out, and then the owner would be considered the the parent, right? The the owner would be considered the the, the parent. And so this was actually a legit thing, a, a legit custom back in that day, and so. But the problem is, is that instead of trusting God, they're trying to do things in their own power. And so the deeper, the deeper issue at hand here is not trusting God's promises. And so I want you to think about that in your own lives. Because we do the same thing, don't we? You see, if you were in this room today and you are a child of God, you are not a child of God because of anything you did. You are a child of God because God's grace reached down into a broken, busted world and grabbed a broken, busted man or woman and gave you a new heart and filled you with His Spirit and gave you a gift called eternal life. And it had nothing to do with you. It was all about God. You now have God's promise in your life. And if you now go and start trying to use things that you do or your circumstances as a way to be sure of that promise. You see the flaw there? You are now trusting in yourself or your circumstances instead of trusting in the promise of God. So, if me going down an aisle, raising my hand, and giving my heart to Jesus is the hope that I have in salvation, who am I trusting in? Me. If me being baptized and dunking in some water is the reason that I'm saved, who am I trusting in? Me. If my reading the Bible is the reason that I'm saved, if my prayer life is the reason that I'm saved, if the fact that I give all of my time 
And all of my energy to working for God is the reason I'm saved, then I'm leaning on me. And I'm leaning on a broken crutch. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah are doing here. Instead of trusting God and His promise, they're going to take matters into their own hands. They're going to try to fix this. They're going to help God fix the problem. Do you see the problem? Okay. So, what happens? They have a baby. All right? And now what happens? Anytime you get two women and a man mixed together, you're going to have problems, are you not? Right? And so now there's resentment and jealousy in there. What would some of the resentment and jealousy be? Why would Sarah be resentful of Hagar? Yeah. Right? In the book of Proverbs, did, did you? There's a there's a proverb in the, in uh, if if I'm not mistaken, it says that there are four things that always say give, and one of them is a woman's womb, right? And so the reality is is that women were created to have babies. Like that's a reason you're created is to procreate. And when your body don't work like it's supposed to and you can't have babies, it's an awful thing, is it not? And so she's going to be very resentful. Why? Because she is barren and Hagar is not. Do you think that Sarah could be resentful to Abraham now? To Abraham? Well, we know now that it's not his fault, is it? He's perfectly capable of producing a child. So the barrenness is with her. So maybe she now feels inadequate. You see? Now, what about Hagar towards Sarah? Is there going to be any resentment there? What's the resentment? Yeah, she it's her it's considered her baby. Yeah. Not only that, but do you think maybe there might be some emotional ties now with Abram? Yeah. You better believe it. You don't just sleep with somebody and not have some emotional ties about it, right? We 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 try to act like that's we're we're, we're capable of doing that, but the reality is is that the con, the consummation of a relationship in that way is a a, a very sacred thing. It's not an imp- intended just to be a just a, a a form of recreation, if you will. And so there's going to be resentment there as well. Is this going to cause problems down the line? Yeah. yeah. Ishmael and Isaac, the true promised child, are going to have their problems, aren't they? Right? And so we need to remember that when we take things into our own hands and try to do God's work for Him, it's never going to turn out right. It's not going to work. So oftentimes... Instead of trying, we need to be trusting. That's very hard for us, isn't it? Why? Because if I have to trust, then it's not in my... It's the control. And that's the deep down issue, isn't it? God is in control. And I am not. If God is in control, that means that I'm not. And the one thing that every one of us in this room desire is to be in control. If you don't believe that, just sit down and watch TV with somebody. 
They're going to be a fight over that remote, ain't there? Right? They're not flipping it fast enough. They're flipping it too fast. They're watching something I don't want to watch. We like to be in control. I guarantee you that every... I, I know that this house is full of peace and there's never any strife here at all, right? None. No. No, you can't just you can't just fit twenty five people in, in a little small house and and not expect them to just get along like it's heaven on earth, right? But the reality is, is every struggle that you have is because you're trying to be in control of a situation that you're not in control of. Right? Uh, so, they, Sarah said, "They uh, made the wrong done me be upon you." Just verse five. I gave my maid to you, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, "Behold, your maid is in your power to do what is good in your sight." So Sarah treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. He said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, uh, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. He's very specific. The angel of the Lord is very specific, isn't he? He wants her to make sure that she knows he's not talking to somebody else. Right? right? When God speaks to you, it's a personal thing. Hagar, and not just any Hagar, Sarah's maid, right? Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Here's the trouble. Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Problem in that, isn't it? Yeah. Hard. Hard is impossible in our fallen nature. We don't want to submit to anybody. But who's telling her to submit? God. It's very important we see there the angel of the Lord. Not just an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. And I want you to watch what it said. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, Watch now, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Now, does an angel have the power to make a promise that you're going to have a lot of children? No. This is the angel of the Lord. And what, for those of y'all who have been a part of our group before, what is the term known when God makes an appearance in the Old Testament? Who remembers? A theophany. Right? Theo being God and phaneru being appearance. Right? That's where the word comes from. Theophany. An appearance of God. All right? And so we know that no man has ever seen God and lived. But how is God presenting himself to Sarah, uh, to Hagar, the mistress of Sarah, as an angel? He's taking the form of something that we can see with our eyes. He is appearing to her in a presence that she can understand and relate to. And so this angel is making a promise that he will make sure that her children are multiplied on the earth. This is God. And what do we call a messenger from God? What is an angel? Angel also is the word messenger. But any time in the Old Testament we say we see the angel of God, right? We know that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Right? 
Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. He's going to be a maniac. His hands will be against everyone, and everyone's hands will be against him, and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. All right? So if he has brothers, who are, where are these brothers going to come from? Sarah. Abraham. So we know Abraham's going to have kids, right? Because he's got brothers. Well, right now, how many brothers does he have? None. None. All right, good. Then they called the, uh, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. See, even Hagar knows that she is speaking with God. And she said, Have I seen, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Then, therefore, the well was called Beer Lehi Roy. Beer means well, by the way, guys. Anytime you see the word beer, it means well. Beer Lehi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bereth. The strong one who sees. Lehi Roy. The strong one who sees. So, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham called the name of the son whom Hagar bore him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. All right, so now Abraham's got a son. But this is a son, and we're going to say that this is a son according to the flesh. A son according to the flesh. All right, what does that mean? According to the flesh. Yep, it was a physical act by Abram and Hagar. It wasn't a child of the promise. It was a child of the flesh. Think about that. Within you, if you are a blood-bought child of God, there's two children in there. There's the child of the flesh and the child of promise within you. And what are those two children always doing? Fighting. In the same way that Ishmael and Isaac are constantly at odds, and the same way that Jacob and Esau are constantly at odds, the natural man and the spiritual man inside of you are constantly at odds. Okay? Which child wins? Well, that's that's the promise is always going to win out. The promise is always going to win. We've got to learn to trust the promise and stop trusting in ourselves. You see? And so what's God going to do? He's going to let that conflict rage in you. Now, what happens if I embrace the child of the flesh? I'm going to get my head kicked in on it. Right? Right? I'm going to fall. I'm going to suffer. Even the children of Israel, even though they were the promised children of God, they still had a responsibility to walk in the covenant, didn't they? They had a responsibility to obey the law. Do you think the law has been superseded for you? Do you think that the Ten Commandments don't matter to you? They do. They're just as much an expression of the will of God today as they were 2,000 years ago. So, if I am a child of God... 
Does God require me to walk in the commandments? Yet you better believe it. And as a child of God, even though I'm a promised child of God, if I don't walk in those promises, what will happen? Yeah, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. That's exactly right. So what's God going to do? He's going to allow you to deal with this conflict that's going on inside of you. But what has He done? He's given you a promise. And a part of that promise is He's given you His Spirit. He's given you a new heart. And He's given you the ability to walk in the promise and not in the flesh. And our problem is is we still will try to walk in the flesh instead of trusting Him. We still do the same thing that Sarah and Hagar and, and, and Abram did. We try to do it our way. You see? Alright. So... Chapter 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations no longer will your name be called Abram but now your name will be called Abraham for I have I have made you the father of a multitude of nations I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you all right now remember the title of our lesson and what we're focusing on is Christ in the Old Testament. Right? Someone show me Jesus in Genesis 17, 6. Where is Jesus in Genesis 17, 6? I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you answer nations and kings shall come. Is that, is that so a king. king. Who is the king? Jesus. King of kings, hallelujah, hallelujah, and Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. Right? That's handled Messiah. Right? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that Jesus is the king of kings. Well, wait a minute. Who else came out of Abraham's voice? Saul was a Benjamite. Benjamin was a son of Benjamin is a son of Jacob. Jacob is a son of Isaac and Isaac is a son of Abraham. So Saul came out of Abraham's loins. There's a king. What about David? He was from the tribe of Judah. Judah is a son of Jacob. Jacob is a son of Isaac. And Isaac is a son of Abraham. So did God keep His promise? Did kings come out of His loins? Were all of them good kings? No. Uh, Right now in my annual reading plan through the Bible, I'm going through the book of 2 Kings. 
and I'm reading chronologically, so I'm doing some of Chronicles too. And one of the things you will find out is that almost every king in Israel, every king in Judah, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So not every king that comes out of Aaron's loins is a good king. But what is the most important? Who is the most important king to come from Abraham's loins? Jesus. Jesus is a physical descendant of Abraham. Which means that this promise is directly pointed to Christ. You see how that works? So I see Jesus in the Old Testament now. It makes more sense. Alright? It says, I will establish my covenant between you. This is verse 7. And your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting promise, and I will be their God. Alright, so what else does he promise Abram here? He promises him a land. Alright? Now, at first we think that it's just the land of where? Canaan. The land where he's traveling around. And there are a lot of people in modern evangelical churches that say, oh yeah, one day the Israelites are going to go back and take over that land because that's the land of their promise. But watch this. Keep your finger right there. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 3, that ain't going to help me. Right? Romans chapter 4. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by words, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what did the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, it was credited him as righteous. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not credited as a favor, but to what is due. Keep reading down, and we get down... In verse 10, it says this. Or verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? So you see what Paul says? These blessings that were promised to Abraham, were these blessings promised just to the circumcised or to the uncircumcised as well? And watch. God is speaking to Abraham in Genesis right now and he's uncircumcised. That's very important. And Paul's going to bring that up several times in the New Testament. That these promises were made to Abraham when he was still a Gentile. He was not circumcised yet. Alright? Now watch what it says. How then... Uh, it says, For we say that faith was credited to Abraham. as right. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which had been he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Abraham is a father to the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember God said that you are going to be a father of many nations. Now, it's very important for us. Remember, we talked about this in the past together, that that promise was made to the children of Abraham, the children of faith. In other words, it takes the same faith that Abraham had to be a true child of Abraham. Saul 
was a physical descendant of Abraham, but he did not have the spiritual faith that Abraham had. Right. David, on the other hand, was both a physical descendant and had the spiritual faith of his father Abraham. You see how that works? It's very important for us to see that. That it's not the flesh that justifies me. It's the Spirit. Alright? And then he says this. And the father of circumcision of those who not only are of the circumcision, but of those who also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham while he was yet uncircumcised. Now watch this. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or his his descendants that he would be the heir of the land of Canaan. That's not what it says or anything. The heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promises is of the new heavens and the new earth. That Abraham and his children will inherit the land of their sojourning. So it's way bigger than just a little 60 by 90 mile speck of land in the middle of the Middle East. The new heavens and the new earth are for all of Abraham's kids. Both Gentile, because he received the promise when he was uncircumcised. And for the children, the physical children who are also spiritual children. You see? So when you go back and you read in the book of Romans, you read in Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you'll find out is, is that Paul says, hey, has God forgot the, the nation of Israel? Has he forgot his own children? And what does he say? God forbid. He said, but I'm going to summarize this. And basically what Paul says in Romans 9, 10, 11 is this. No, no, no. This is the way that the promise was planned to work all along. You see, the physical children were going to reject the promise. And so God would then turn away from them and turn to the nations. And the nations would receive the Messiah. And by the nations receiving the Messiah, it will provoke Israel into believing. What does that mean? The Jews are going to be, wait a minute, that's our Messiah. You can't have Him. You see? And so what happens? The natural children reject the promise. The spiritual children receive the promise. The the natural children to recognize that their nature is not enough and they will turn to the spiritual promise. And then we will all become one people of God. And when we inherit the earth, we're going to be have bodies that are in the form of Jesus and His resurrected body. And it's not going to matter whether you're red or yellow, black and white, because we're all precious in His sight. And our diversity is going to be uh, a beautiful expression of our Creator. And each and every one of us are going to be individuals. But it is so important in a world that we live in today that is so full of racial strife and conflict that we realize that Jesus died to save one race of people. His children. That's who He died to save. He died to save His people. And they're from every tribe and every nation and from every tongue. And when we make distinctions based on the amount of melanin in our skin or the language that we speak or the culture that we live in, we are focusing on the physical that's wrong and it's just that simple it really is just that simple 
So, God has made a promise to Abram that one day your children will inherit the land that you sojourn in. Right? That's what he's saying right here. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you will be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. All right? So, is circumcision the covenant? No. It is a sign of the covenant. It's an outward expression of what is an inward reality. Can someone have the promise of God... The spiritual promise of God and not display it in their physical flesh. Can someone have the physical sign and not have the spiritual promise? Can you be could could you be a son of Abraham and be circumcised and not be a part of the spiritual promise? Yes. What is the sign of circumcision? A cutting away of the flesh. Right? Well, actually, you ladies can't do that. Right, you ladies can't do that. Alright, so think about some of the implications of circumcision. It's that the seed must be cut off. Who is the seed of Abraham? Who is the seed of Abraham? And what happened to him on the cross? He was cut off, wasn't he? Yeah. Right? So even in the sign of circumcision, there is a pointing to Christ. That the seed of Abraham would be cut off. Even in that. But, there's also this. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The only thing that can physically come from Abraham is a son of Abraham. A son of God cannot come from Abraham's loins because it is a spiritual birth. If you want to apply it, since we're not Jewish, since we're Gentiles, eternal life cannot come through the seed of Adam. You cannot pass on eternal life to your children through your physical efforts. That's why Jesus said in John 3, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Because the first birth is a physical birth. Now, did Jesus say you must be born again and again and again? No, that's right. Because the regenerative work of God is a one-time thing. Well, let's put it this way. Once God gives you a promise, He keeps it. Let's say it that way. That's why Abraham blessed Ishmael. Because he made the promise to Abraham about his seed. He 
All right, good. So let's see if we can finish up 17. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, God said further, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant. Verse 10, this is my covenant. Every male will be circumcised. Verse 11, you will circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised through your generation. A servant who is born in the house or who is brought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descent. Um, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be with you in the flesh for an everlasting covenant. Alright, so uh, let me see if y'all been paying attention. Find Jesus for me in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 17. I'll read it for you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation. A servant who is born in your house or is bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. Where is Jesus in that passage? How? Good. How? On the eighth day. It was not by coincidence that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple on the eighth day and had him circumcised. Why did they do that? It's the covenant sign. You see? Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Right. And it's very important for us to remember that Jesus has to be the physical descendant of Abraham. He has to be the physical son of Abraham. Why? Because all the way back in Genesis, the promise was that your physical seed will inherit everything. You see? So it's very important that Jesus be a descendant of Abraham. So what what's crazy about that? Jesus created Adam and Eve and Abraham. And yet when the Bible tells us that Jesus clothed himself in flesh and walked among us, he humbled himself and became a son of Abraham. See how beautiful that is? To fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham. And so, anytime you're talking to Jehovah Witness and they try to tell you that that Jesus is Michael the archangel, right? You'll hear people say that. that The Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus is Michael the archangel. There's a problem with that. And here's the problem. Angels do not bleed. Angels do not bleed. God is a spirit. Angels are spirit. And when Jesus hung on that cross, He poured out human blood. Sinless human blood. But human blood. It's very important for us to see that. That He is the physical descendant of Abraham. But He is also the Son of God. You and I are the physical descendants of Adam but because we have been born again we are the spiritual children of God the difference in me and you and Jesus is Jesus is the is God you and I are adopted into the family of God Jesus is the only begotten of the Father well, what does that mean? it means that Ducks beget ducks, and chickens beget chickens, and dogs beget dogs, and humans beget humans. Only God can be.
beget God. So not only is Jesus the son of Abraham in the flesh, spiritually, he is the son of God. When we are regenerated, when we are given a new heart, when we are given the spirit of God, we become the adopted children of God. And how long did that adoption last? Eternally. God doesn't break His promise. We, we are now a part of the family of God. That's what old hymn we used to say. Alright, so uh, it says in verse 14, But an uncircumcised male who is not uh, circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you shall now not call her Sarah, but Sarah will be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Here's Abraham again. After he's already been given all these promises, uh, he, Ishmael is something that he can physically touch and hold and say, look, this is my kid. And what's he saying to God? Just let him be the child of the promise, right? But God said, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this at this season next year. Then when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants that were born in his house and all who were brought in his, with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the very same day Abraham was circumcised in Ishmael his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So, God has now given Abram the right of circumcision, right? And it is a sign and seal of a covenant promise. What is the promise? Isaac, that the promise that God that Abraham will be God's son that Abraham will be uh, have the promises of God the blessings of God that his children will inherit the earth all of these promises and God gave them the sign of circumcision as an outward sign as an outward seal of a inward promise and what we need to see is Ishmael was 13 years old when he received that physical seal did God bless Ishmael? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because he's the physical descendant of Abraham. Does God physically bless the Jewish people? Yeah, certainly does. And But, does every person who has been circumcised in the flesh have the spiritual promise of God? No. 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 That requires a 
spiritual circumcision. Moses is actually going to say that later in the book of Deuteronomy. This is what he's going to say. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll end with this. Turn with me really quickly back over to Romans. Let's, let's end, end with this, this verse. Go back to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And let's look at a passage together. The end of Romans chapter 2 says this. We'll start in verse 25. Romans 2, verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You see what he's saying? If you have the physical sign, but you don't walk in the ways of the promise that those sign that sign represents, then you might as well not have the physical sign. If you don't have the physical sign and you walk in the promises, it's as if you are do carry the physical sign. And then he says this, verse twenty seven, He who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Now, that's a big pill to swallow. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit and not the letter. And His praise is not from men, but from God. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but He is a Jew who is one inwardly. What does it mean to be Jewish? It means to be a descendant of Abraham. And what Paul is saying right here is it's not the physical descent that matters. It's the spiritual descent. What is that that saying? Who's your daddy? Right? If you're not a child of God, it doesn't matter how much you dress up and act like one. And being a child of God comes from the new birth. That's what Jesus meant when He said, you must be born again. And no matter how much hard you try to do it, your way and in your power, it will always fail. Because it's the promise of God and not your works that save you. And it's very important to hear this. It's also the promise of God that keeps you saved, not what you do. If you can lose it, you would have already have. God saved you because you was a sinner. And He's going to keep you saved because He's a Savior. 
rest in His promises, not in what you do, but what He has done for you. And you will know the peace that passes all understanding. So we'll close with that. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together tonight. Um, I pray that this uh, uh, study uh, through your word will be challenging to all of us. We all, Father, have such a tendency to rely on ourselves and not to rely on you. Help us not to do that. Help us to trust in you with all of our hearts. Help us not to lean in our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And we'll look for you to uh, keep our path straight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.